Hello listeners, welcome to episode 8 of the Alex Waters Show and um, today's chat, I'm really excited to share this with you. I do want to mention I've just had a couple of weeks off, you can kind of probably hear in my voice, um, I'm still not fully recovered but I had laryngitis, I completely lost my voice for about two weeks, I was on full vocal rest and yeah, it was pretty interesting experience just having to not talk to anyone for a couple of weeks, so uh, I don't recommend it if you can avoid it. So Dr. Stephen Hooper is today's guest and um, Steve and I actually met, he's my physiotherapist, um, I broke my right femur in July 2019 and Steve was recommended to me, you know, once I was kind of off crutches and started getting some physio for my leg. And I could tell straight away there was something special about him. Like he just wasn't an ordinary physio, the way he was assessing me, what he was asking. And just since then, you know, the way he's approached things, you know, you can just tell this guy gets it on a deeper, deeper level. And so uh, when I thought about who I wanted to be on my podcast next, I immediately asked Steve because I've gotten to know him really well over a year and He's just a really fascinating human being. He's got a, quite a diverse range of experiences in life. He's written five books, you know, one called Body by Design. Uh, the Big Five is Alive. One of my favorites that I've, I've read a little bit of, it's um, Call It Whatever You Want. It's about being free. He wrote that in 2006 uh, and a couple of other, other books as well. And yeah, we've just had some really interesting conversations during our sessions uh, about psychedelics, about his perspectives on his relationship and how he set that up with his family and, you know, just people defining success, his business journey. He's done some incredible, really incredible things. I think you're going to get a lot out of this conversation. We do dive probably the, the most open I've talked about psychedelics ever and go into specifics about experiencing them, experiencing psilocybin mushrooms. And uh, yeah, let's get into this one. You know, if you're interested in the human body and health in any way, it's just such a, and by the way, if you're a human, you should be interested in health because, <laughs> um, you know, that's the thing that helps you live happier, healthier with more energy. So yeah, let's get into this conversation. Dr. Stephen Hooper, episode eight of the Alex Waters Show. Hello listeners, welcome to episode eight of the Alex Waters Show. Uh, today's episode, I've got with me Dr. Stephen Hooper. Uh, welcome, Steve. Thanks very much, Alex. Thanks for having the time and uh, bring me on your show. Appreciate oh, it. Likewise. So for everyone out there, uh, Steve is actually my physiotherapist and uh, not just an ordinary physio. Um, I just want to throw that in there because we'll be coming back to that, I think, throughout the episode. But um, yes, Steve is just a, a really incredibly interesting and diverse human being. And you've got a really fascinating story. And, and I think you've achieved a lot and are almost quite unassuming in your success and diversity of endeavors you've written five books you've got like two bachelor degrees many many sort of notches on the belt and i think just the way you go about life as well is something that uh people should aspire to in my opinion so Thank you. tell us a little bit about your journey like how did you get started you've got a business effortless superhuman you're a practicing holistic physiotherapist and you do a few other things but take us back to you know, your early days, I read on your website, you played played ice hockey for 
WLU? Is that? Well, I played ice hockey in Canada, and that's yeah. kind of where this journey starts, is trying to be a professional athlete in North America <laughs> and uh, playing hockey to a very high standard. And so, uh, you know, when I'm eight, nine years old, I had a credible amount of skill. But as you hit 11, 12, and 13, you, you not need to have the physical presence on the ice as well. And I was always a skinny kid. And so that kind of led me into the area of looking at strength and conditioning, weightlifting, trying to add 10 or 15 kilos to my body. Yeah. And then once you develop the physical strength and you've got the skill set to it, uh, in comes nutrition. And I learned pretty early on, 14, 15, that if I wasn't eating well and nourishing my body well, I wouldn't recover from games and I couldn't play as well. And so that's where I started taking interest into health and into nutrition and then into the more psychology behind the game of, of hockey and Fortunately, in Canada, as you reach the higher levels, you do have a team around you. And so I had access to physios and chiros, but also to psychologists and, you know, worked my way up that way. And so that's where all of these passions came into it. And, you know, when I was 17, I became a, a personal trainer uh, that led into be a strength and conditioning coach. And then the desire to do more led into getting a degree in exercise physiology yeah. uh, and um, minoring in psychology. And then after practicing, you know, kind of combining strength and conditioning, nutrition together with exercise physiology, realized that, uh, you know, I really wanted to go further in my studies and that's where it led into physiotherapy. And so really it was the love of sport and my desire to excel in sport that uh, kind of brought me into the worlds of all those performing arts and all those, those skill sets. Yeah, cool. Do you uh, still practice ice hockey here in Perth at all? Well, fascinating, again, you know, you got to make a decision. In Canada, you know, if, if they built 10 of the best uh, Canadian ice hockey teams, I wouldn't be on any of them. Yeah. <laughs> That's the humorous part, despite playing to a very high standard over there. So when I came here, I wasn't expecting to play any hockey. Yeah. And, and yet I met some pretty cool guys that were playing roller hockey or inline hockey. Cool. And um, although there was only a small group of 16, uh, once I started playing, we realized we were pretty good and went to, I think we went to nine national championships and made the final, wow. final in six of them and won, <laughs> won the nationals twice. Wow. And we even uh, went to two world championships. How long ago was this? Um, I played right up until I was 39 years old or even 40 years old. So it was about eight years ago that I, wow. I finished playing. But the, the world championships were when I was about 35, 36 years old. So we're talking about 10 years ago. Cool. Yeah, it was incredible. And, and you know, one of them, there was uh, 17 teams and we finished ninth. Wow. You know, we had no funding for it. Um, and so we had to fund our own way. We we're doing sausage sizzles at Bunnings and uh, working our way over to, to get flights and get over there. Yeah. Uh, a pretty funny story. We were in, in Canada at the World Championships, and um, I actually knew a couple of guys on the Canadian team and a couple of guys on the American team. And so we're in the cafeteria eating, and I, I walk in, and, and this guy, Brett, calls me over, and um, I'm sitting amongst the American players. And he, he says to me, so he goes, how much are you guys getting paid? for this tournament. And I said, I'm looking at him in my head going, what are you talking about getting paid? <laughs> and they're all complaining because they had to take a pay cut for this. I think they're getting 2000 cash to play for the week. All right. So I thought this is a good opportunity. I said, well, two grand. I said, man, we're getting three and a half thousand bucks each, <laughs> you know, to play. And so later on, obviously his coach went up to my coach and said, I can't believe you guys are getting three and a half grand to play. My coach goes, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, we had to do sausage sizzles to fund our way there. Yeah. And so obviously I took a bit of a beating from the Americans when they found that out. <laughs> But, uh, you know, it was, it was a great opportunity to uh, keep the sport going and, and keep competitive for another 10 years when I didn't think I had anything left in me. So it's yeah. a, a lot of fun. There is actually a little, well, little slash, I think, growing um, ice hockey community in Perth there as is. well, which is, which is pretty cool to see. I've got a few friends involved in that, that community, yeah. all kind of inspired by, you know, the Canadian and North American League 
obviously they're all kind of diehard fans of different yeah, teams over yeah, there and yeah. stuff. It's cool. Say, yeah, it's the Perth Thunder. And yeah, they're, they're That's right. pretty talented team. Some good players yeah. on that and some good local talent as well, which is nice to see that developing. So, and then you get the expats from all over the world that play and, um, you know, they're pretty talented players. Mm. So, so yeah, it's half decent yeah. hockey here in WA. Yeah, definitely. Tell us about your books. You've written five, five different books. I imagine there's actually a lot of people out there who who have a desire maybe to write a book or have thought about it at one point. How does one even sort of go about starting that and and what got you started in that space? Well, obviously, it just starts with an idea and uh, a desire to express that idea. You know, the writing can be difficult for people, but I I think the first thing is to feel like you have something to say and something of value to say. And then I think when you dive into it, if you don't overthink it, whether you want to speak your book or whether you want to write your book or type your book, if you don't worry about how it sounds initially, you can just start diving into it and throwing stuff on paper. You can always revise and edit these days. It's pretty easy. And so for myself, the first book was relatively simple, which is working as a practitioner. You get all these people asking you, you know, what should you eat? How do you put things together? Where do you shop? You know, and you get asked that a hundred times. I put a, a five page document together and stapled it. And all of a sudden I had so many people asking me for this document. I said, I better put some time into this. Yeah. So it turned into a, a, just a 50 page document that I self-published and ended up selling over 5,000 copies of this thing. It was insane. And so that was the first book, relatively simple. And then like so many things in life, I question a lot. And the second book came out of a good friend of mine, Neil and myself really questioning the world and, and what was happening at that time. And so we created a book that really looked at a simple concept of people who tune in in life versus people who tune out. Mm. And so it started because we were at a park one time and we didn't have any kids at this point and um, we're watching a mom pushing her kid on the swing, but that mom has her phone out and is paying more attention to her phone than uh, actually pushing the kid on the swing. Mm. And so we said, hey, that's a tune out in life. And we recognize that far too many people are, whether they're watching the news, reading papers, they're spending a lot of time tuning out and, and not really being aware of, of how they live their life or the choices they make or the behaviors that they have. Yeah. And so that's what sparked that book and brought about the second book that I wrote. And so I think once you get a flow to it and you've, you've created what I would consider art, I think you get a passion for it. And, and I think once you've done it a couple of times, it leads into um, the opportunities to write more and, and do more. Yeah. What was that book called? What did we end up calling that? Uh, call it whatever you want. It's about being free. Yeah. I, I thought that was the, the one. Book. I actually read a little bit of that okay. in your reception waiting area. Yeah. Yeah. Really cool uh, book. Yeah, it was it was one that we couldn't get across the line with publishers. They just thought it was too out there mm. um, and too diverse, and they didn't think there was an audience for it. So again, we went after and self-published, and um, we didn't hold back. It was fully color and by the design we wanted. And, and again, thousands of people wanted that book. And so, yeah, several thousand copies have been published mm. or created at this point. So, Did you actively promote it? Not really. It kind of became one of that, those underground books where people saw it on a coffee table. And as you would know, as you flick through, there, there's pictures, you know, two notes on one side, two ins on the other side. And so as people flick through that coffee table book, um, they say, how did you get this? And when people said, well, I, I had to buy it from a friend or someone, it's not in any store. It became one of those things that people wanted. And so yeah. then people were getting phone calls or text messages saying, hey, can you print another hundred or another 500 of those books? And mm. it just kind of sold itself. That's awesome. It's a really interesting project. I think um, projects that are truly aligned and like meant to be and meant to happen just sort of will happen and, and will be recognized by the right people, right? 
Yeah, I, I think so. You know, I had probably the fourth or fifth book I wrote was more mainstream and, and that was for a purpose to, to get a message across. But in that case, this was a book that was meant to be. And it was great to work with a friend. It was great to get a message across that we both believed in. And it did fall into line. We had a, a professional cartoonist who mm. saw what we were doing, liked it, probably did $10,000 of work and only charged us 1000 because she was so passionate for what we were doing. And then we had editors jump on board because they loved the messages in that book. It really fell into line, and you'll see in, in the acknowledgments in that that we're really giving thanks to a lot of people who put their love into it. It was really mm. cool that way. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think uh, you know that leads me into something that I wanted to talk about with you for a while, and we've had a few different chats about it, but obviously the book refers to the topic of freedom yeah. <laughs> and tuning in versus tuning out, which really is about, I suppose, awareness, self-awareness, the ability to you know, be connected to your environment, to yourself, to other people. And a big part of my journey and like helping me access that state uh, of being able to tune in has been the use of psychedelics. Mm. I know you uh, shared some of your experiences with me uh, a few weeks ago. Talk to me about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a fascinating subject for anybody that's listening. I, I think, there, again, it's a polarized topic where you know, for 30 to 40 years, it's been psychedelics have been frowned upon and, and yeah. uh, probably coming out of the 60s, I, I guess. Whereas now with the push of people like Tim Ferriss and, and the amount of research going on, we're seeing that they do have relevance for health issues like PTSD, potentially depression, anxiety. So I think there's great potential value in these substances and they're maybe not the, the monsters that they've been portrayed over the last 30 or 40 years. For myself, it's kind of two-part journey to it. I was introduced to magic mushrooms or psilocybin in university. I had a roommate and his cousin would, would take the train out to BC and come back with like 10 pounds of mushrooms. And um, that's how I first had access to them. And I guess like many people, uh, it became more of something to party with or to go out with. And probably I didn't pay it the full respect that it deserved at that time. And not that there was any bad trips or any challenges, but I, I think probably for the first year, there was just not, only not the respect for them, but I didn't get the value that could have been got out of them. And uh, I think it was, you know, again, at that end of the first year where I said, hey, there's some real learning to be done with this. And that's when I met somebody who had used them extensively, but more from a healing and a journey perspective. And so he guided me into a session guide me through that session and then helped me on the other side of the learning side of things. You know, what did you get out of that? Why did you use it? What were you hoping to gain? What did you learn about yourself? Mm. And does this change the way you view yourself or view the world? Mm. And so if we speak about psychedelics, you know, the vast majority of my experience, extensive experience now would become from magic mushrooms or the use of psilocybin for health, for healing, for looking deeper into myself and many times trying to make key decisions as to what direction I think my life should go. Yeah. What was the, the first time that you did it like? You know, if you can take us back to then, that first time that where you, you did it with your friend and it was sort of a more introspective journey, like what did you actually experience and what did you feel like you got out of it? Well, I think for anybody that's used psychedelics, especially magic mushrooms, knows that a lot of the inhibitions leave you. And so your ability to see the world differently is pretty profound. And so in that journey, uh, he, he was very poignant in that he said, the, the journey that you get here is the journey that you need. So don't overthink this and don't have any preconceived notions about what you want or you think is going to happen. Because if that doesn't happen, you could be disappointed and not really see the true messages that were 
meant for you during this this yeah. time or this trip. And so that was a great lead in. So I didn't have too many set preconceived notions, although I did write some things down as to say, if there's the opportunity, it'd be good to explore these topics or to uh, maybe ha gain some insight as to how I view the world, you know, that type of thing. And so he kind of put it as, you know, he was that white line in the road. I could cross it if I wanted, but if at any point I felt as though I was scared or unsure of how I was behaving, then I could always come back to that white line, which was him to say, hey, how am I doing? Is everything okay? You know, I feel like reality's gotten a little bit away from me here. And yep. he'd say, no, you're fine. You know, it, there was times where we were out in public and he said, Steve, you, you present well. Nobody would even know that you're on magic mushrooms or using these things. So you're, you're fine, that type of thing. And so that was pretty profound as well. But really it was the next day as you sit down and you recall the experience where the real learning is to be done. And for me, it gained valuable insight into who I was as a person. And then secondly, uh, really where I saw my life going at that point point, which was far more into the healing side of things, you know, exercise physiology, I was seeing it more at that point as working with top level athletes, uh, helping people recover from, from major injuries and those types of things. But I knew at that point that I wanted to go more into health and healing. Mm. And so that's one of the biggest things that came out of that session. Yeah. Huge. But it also, you know, as a whole, I, I recognize the power that is in the brain and that potentially psychedelics have the ability to unlock that power. Yeah. And again, uh, I was out with him at a bar the one time and chatting with him. And then my girlfriend at that time came over and uh, said, what are you doing? You're just kind of staring up at the top of the bar. And there's two levels to the bar. And I said, oh, I'm just, I'm intrigued by the conversation this guy's having with his girlfriend. It's a really interesting conversation. And she kind of looked at me very strangely and said, there's, there's absolutely no way with the music blaring that you could hear what they're saying over the noise. And I said, I can hear every word they're saying. It was like I could, in one part of my brain, turn off all the music. I could turn off every other conversation in the bar. And it was like they were standing beside me. Yeah. So she actually walked up, not believing me. She stood between me and them, so I couldn't be reading their lips. And stood there for five minutes and then came back. And I had basically could say almost every word they had said. And she just spun out. Mm. Now, I don't know how I could do that. Yeah. Um, but obviously, there's that access within our own brains to probably do but far more than we think we can yeah absolutely i mean one thing that intrigues me with this conversation about psychedelics at the moment is you know it's gone from being incredibly taboo as as you mentioned you know these are dangerous things if you take them you're going to end up flying like think you can fly and you're going to jump off a cliff or out of yeah. a window or whatever and and i think most people who i speak to haven't actually experienced it think that that's that's what it's like which personally i've never experienced but the way that we're kind of going as a society is to introduce them medically, right? To say, yeah, well, there's actually trials and substantial proof now that shows that psilocybin mushrooms, MDMA, have a remarkable impact on people with depression, anxiety, PTSD, which is awesome. And I think that's, that's very needed for that to come into society that way. But, you know, I, I almost think as a human, as a human race, we kind of need to move back towards putting value on mystical experiences or, or the things that the unexplainable, you know, like we've got so much obsession with the tangible in life. Like, Oh yeah. Okay. Well I will do that. But what exactly is it going to give me? Or we will use that, but how can we use it in a, a medical sense where we can measure it and everything's so scientific. We're kind of missing the point of actually a lot of life and the fact that we're living on a ball 
of energy in space in the universe. <laughs> what, what are your thoughts on that? Because I, I mean, for me, mystical experiences have been incredibly profound in how I view things, how I view the world. And I do think, as you just explained with your story in the bar, we're capable of so much more than, yeah. than we realize. I think it's a tricky situation because I, I don't think these are uh, substances that should not be respected. And yeah. I'll be open and, and say that the, you know, in the first six months, it wasn't something that I respected. I had confidence in myself and in using them, but it wasn't certainly for therapy and it certainly wasn't for any inner sense of self at that time. And, and so I think for anybody that's listening to this and says, you know, I have used them myself or I'd like to use them. I, I think that anytime you can get a guide to or someone who's used them extensively to help you i think that's important mm. the challenge we face today is that these things have been pushed out of society for the last 30 or 40 years and so you have to then say well who do we turn to to gain experience one how do you access them two to who do you turn to to gain the experience so that someone can help you take them appropriately yeah. and so that you do get the most out of using them and then i think you're correct in that there's a lot of value to be gained in personal insight into how you view the world into maybe more compassion and love for the people that are around you. Yeah. You know, I think we could both openly admit probably now more than ever in the history of the world, that's missing. Mm. And so you then say, well, can this be a tool that would allow us to gain further insight and um, to, to demonstrate more love and compassion? But again, you know, you go back 50 years or 100 years ago, cannabis wasn't under prohibition. Um, mm. So you would have people within native cultures who are using it responsibly, therapeutically, spiritually. And yet since the seventies, because it's prohibited, you now have a loss for anybody who's actually used it properly. Yeah. And as you said, now CBD oil and cannabis oil is all coming out in the medical community. They're trying to use it for science. Well, you've got doctors who are prescribing it and they've never smoked marijuana. They've never taken CBD oil. They've never had a THC effect. Yeah. Uh, they don't know even what a side effect could be of that. They don't know how to properly prescribe it. Yeah. And yet we've put it in the hands of the medical community. Yeah. Whereas people who have used cannabis responsibly for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, well, how are you going to access that person? Mm. So that's the challenge we face with these substances that unless you can find a practicing shaman, which are few and far between in Western Australia, mm. Who are you going to turn to? Yeah. So I think that's my greatest concern here is that there's tremendous value outside of just the medical side of things for these types of compounds, but uh, it's it's one accessing them and two then knowing how to use them responsibly to get the most out of them. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely agree with that. I, I think you know safety and feeling secure is absolutely the first thing you need to do if you're thinking about having this kind of experience. To, to hear that you went outside in public on your first sort of introspective experience yeah, yeah. like scares me a little bit or just makes me it doesn't scare me it makes me nervous because I, I know what that feels like you know you just you're in an altered state so it is hard to kind of be around people who aren't or might not know that you are yes yes it's well i think anybody that has used that kind of substance again my my experience is extensively with magic mushrooms but sometimes the come on effect is incredibly strong and yeah. if that's your first or second experience with them you want somebody near you to say hey this is completely normal you're okay this will pass and you'll enter a zone where it's much more pleasant yeah. um and you know that safety aspect is really important to get the most out of it 
And, and I think that someone who's used them extensively also knows how to guide you without taking you out of the experience. Yeah. And there are people who will say the wrong things or push you in the wrong directions while you're using them. And, and either it freaks you out or you just don't get the experience you want. Yeah. And, and that's where someone skilled keeps you on track, but without influencing the outcome. Yeah, absolutely. So it becomes important. Yeah. What's the, the biggest dose of psilocybin mushrooms you've taken? Well, it's a great question. Uh, you know, back when I had access to these things, you just put them on a scale and you measure at one gram. And so you start with a gram or two. But again, like many things in my life where I tend to push the boundaries. And so there'd be times where because I could access it so easily and had so much quantities, a gram didn't really mean anything more. So often it was like a handful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I, I would estimate anywhere between five and 10 grams would probably be the biggest dose that I've ever taken somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah. I guess for myself, I realized that the experience at those volumes wasn't necessarily any better. Mm. Uh, certainly you could create more dramatic experiences, but did I gain any more value? I wouldn't say so. Yeah. And so I'd say standard would be like kind of one to four. Yeah. And that would give you the experience you wanted and, and allow you to get what you wanted out of the experience. Yeah, absolutely. One concept I, you know, I just want to touch on is um, talking about this and I share pretty openly about my experiences as well, but you know, a lot of people are like immediately, no, I would never do that. I would never ever take drugs. And I'm like, do you take medication for your anxiety and depression? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's like, well, that's a drug uh, that's altering your biochemistry inside your body it's it's doing something to your body it's a foreign substance that you're putting in your body to have a desired outcome and i think if people can really like sit with just even that statement and realize that everything is in that category is is doing that and maybe things that are more natural potentially less harmful to your body in ways yeah i think uh the more open-minded we can be the better I think on that front, I mean, probably a better substance to talk about then is marijuana, um, Mm. because again, since the 70s, that is a natural substance that has been ridiculed to say it's a gateway drug. You're going to fry your brain. It's going to lead into injecting yourself with heroin. The statements that have been made about that drug are just so chaotic and so false. Probably the, the poorest advice I ever got from my mom and dad was, you know, by the time I was 14, 15, hey, it's okay to have one, two or three beers but never smoke up, never, yeah. never even have a drag of marijuana because that'll just fry your brain. Now, they're being naive. That's what's being put out by the government. That's what was being put out through the media. And so they bought into that. And yeah. yet, if you look at the last 40 years of my life, or sorry, maybe the last 30 years of my life, probably some of the most dangerous experiences I've had and the closest I've ever come to death is around alcohol. Yeah, It has to be one of the most abused substances, the most harmful substances to the body. And yet you can buy it legally at football games. You can go to anybody's house and you're going to smash back a one or two balls of wine. Yep. It's accessible at every store. Parents are allowing their underage kids to have a drink here and there with them at 15, 16, 17, 18 in most cases. And they don't see anything. Whereas if you have a single drag of a joint or something like that, you're frowned upon. Yeah. And it's really a misunderstanding of what a natural substance like marijuana does within the body. But certainly the risks associated with alcohol are far greater, far greater. You know, the deaths last year from marijuana use was probably close to zero, if not zero. The deaths associated with alcohol would be thousands. I'd have to look that number up. Yeah, I actually posted something like this on my Instagram story last night. I'm pretty sure it was over 
in the several hundred thousands. Hundred thousands, yeah. That, yeah. that wouldn't be surprised me. And that's the ones we know of. I mean, yeah. you talk one punch victims, you talk abuse. You know, I worked security in bars for seven years, and I can tell you when alcohol is involved, the stuff I saw out of pretty well, these were university people. I, I had a, I was at a bar between two major universities. And these people are highly educated university students. You put some alcohol into them and the violence and the behavior was shocking. Mm. And yet the university students that I knew that didn't touch alcohol but would use marijuana on a weekly basis were some of the most well thought out, most intelligent people that I had met. And I can tell you, it wasn't frying their brain. Yeah. But that misunderstanding, I mean, probably the best place to go is just go online and look at why marijuana as a whole was banned back in the seventies yeah. and prohibited. It has nothing to do with the risks associated with it to do with it and all to do with economic reasons. Yeah. Like so many things. And and now we're seeing in the year two thousand and twenty that there's a resurgence of, hey, let's bring this back because there's medical benefits to it. Yeah. Well, we've known that for at least ten thousand years. Yeah. So it's pretty sad. Mm. Absolutely. I think another reason um, just to encourage people to think for themselves and not <laughs> believe everything they hear, including on this podcast. Yeah, you know? true. Yeah. I, look, these are just uh, your opinion, my opinion. Uh, you should do your own research. And, and, you know, while on the topic of psychedelics or these types of substances, it's not benign substances. It's mm. not something to mess around with and say there's zero risk. It's yeah. not something to hand out. You know, I'm open to say I, I was irresponsible probably in the first six months to a year. But I think there, there can be magic in them, um, mm. and I think there can be value in them, and I think certainly medically there, there's tremendous potential for them as well to help a lot of people. Yeah. And it's just sad that it took the year 2020 before. We're not even out yet. I mean, it's only in clinical trials. We're, we're probably five to ten years away. For sure. And yeah. even though CBD oil is available, you still have to jump through so many hoops that most doctors won't even prescribe it because they don't want to be known as that doctor. Yeah. So we're yeah. still not there yet. No, and definitely, you know, we've got a long, long way to go in Australia, perhaps compared to the US in, in that area, I think. Yeah, I mean, just to my, my personal story, you know, a year ago when, I, when we actually met and I started mm-hmm. being treated for my, my leg based on my broken femur, you know, I was, I was in a state of what I would call depression at the time, you know, just gone through a separation, was dealing with some pretty intense stuff in life. And I honestly believe if I'd gone to a doctor, I would have been prescribed some really heavy medication um, based on what I was experiencing at the time, if I'd shared that. But, you know, psilocybin mushrooms really, really helped me at the time. And, you know, I was I was lucky enough that I'd been using them uh, for probably a year and a half previously. So I had experience with them, but just, you know, being able to utilize them to access altered states, to actually dive into... Yeah, some pretty traumatic emotions mm. that I was experiencing and experience them and release them in an environment where, you know, it's the human body, uh, natural tendencies to hold on to things. And it's pretty hard to let go of those sorts of things. Um, it, it completely, like, actually, I would say, I would go as far to say it saved me, saved my life. Cause I think yeah. without it, without those experiences and those tools, I would have probably not healed nearly as quickly. Yeah. You sort of refer to yourself as a holistic physiotherapist and I, I definitely know that firsthand from being, being one of your clients that you're just not the average physio talk us through sort of uh, your like ethos on health and and how that comes into your work well I think I quickly realized working as a physiotherapist that you know there there's 11 systems of the body and, and as a physiotherapist you're highly trained 
with the neurological system. You're highly trained with the muscular system and you're highly trained with the, the skeletal system, including joints and, and the soft tissues associated with joints. And so when you're highly skilled in those areas, when people come in and they have symptoms, you're automatically going to check those three major systems of the body. If you're really skilled, you might start to consider the psycho-emotional state of the person, although we're not counselors and, and typically we don't know what to do with that information. And so I quickly learned that the vast majority of people coming in, at least 50% of them, are having musculoskeletal pain, but often the pain generator behind that might not be nerves, muscles, and joints. Mm. And so to then affect a change on the body and to keep that lasting, you need to dive into, well, what is their psycho-emotional state? What are underlying health conditions that may be either driving the pain or preventing the proper therapy from helping them get better? Mm. There's 11 systems of the body. They all communicate with each other. When you have unhealthy digestive system, you're going to get an unhealthy myofascial system. When you get incredible stress and strain associated with life and you're not well psycho-emotionally, your nervous system changes. When the nervous system changes, the muscular system changes and that can be felt and measured in the body. Mm. But the, the fastest healing path isn't always to dive into the symptom, which might be a tight muscle or a tight joint. Sometimes you need to figure out what is the driving cause or what I would consider to be the pain generator. Yeah. And that becomes tricky because you then can't just wear your physiotherapy hat. And so probably the anal best analogy I give is that uh, a physiotherapist, if we, there's four of us in a house together and, you know, I'm vacuuming and you're blow drying your hair and someone's got the stereo going and, you know, someone else is, uh, say, using a drill or something like that, all electrical appliances and the vacuum cleaner breaks. Well, I would be trained as a physiotherapist mainly to look at the vacuum cleaner. I'd start taking apart the vacuum cleaner. Potentially, if you're really good as a physiotherapist, you might follow the cord back to the wall and say, has the cord been damaged in any way? Mm -hmm. And that's the neurological system. What I realized is I was referring a lot of clients out to chiropractors and to sometimes osteopaths, and I would say, well, what is it they're doing differently? Why did they get that person better? And so I spent hundreds of hours watching highly skilled chiropractors to analyze clients and treat clients. And what I realized is that what they would have seen in that scenario I just gave is that the first place they would go is to the central nervous system of the house and determine whether the electricity has been changed in any way, and they would check there first. Yeah. So has a fuse been blown? Where's the fuse box? Did we sure. blow a fuse? Uh, if that's not it, well, then go to the outlet where the electrical appliance is plugged into. And so that's more methodology and philosophy that a chiropractor would use, and in many cases, an osteopath would use as well. And so once I understood that, I, I saw the human body differently. And then once I started gaining skills in integrative health as a holistic healing practitioner and my qualifications in nutrition, then I could look at the other systems of the body and say, what influence is the digestive system having? What influence is the lymphatic system having? How are these influencing muscles, joints, tendons, nerves, et cetera? Yep. And then you piece it together, both in evaluation, and you determine the fastest path forward for treatment for that individual. Sure. How do you teach the everyday human being to <laughs> have body awareness and sort of self-responsibility, accountability for, for that when pretty much most people don't even understand that, myself included, fully? You know, like Because ultimately what you're saying is that the, the key to our healing is is always inside us like 99% of the time. How do you work through that with someone? Well, it's a great question. I mean, this really comes down into some of my other skills, which is really saying I'm a coach. Yeah. 
a mentor, a coach, uh, a facilitator, and and not just a hands-on therapist. Anybody, not anybody, but a, a qualified person can go put their hands on someone and and adjust joints, release, use needles, etc. But where you become really successful is when you can motivate that person for change, behavioral change. And so that's where I've really stepped things up in the last 12 years to gain greater experience. And so I'd like to think that through communication and through coaching, I can not only educate the person as to how the body works and and how it might help them to make behavioral changes, but also to guide them down that path Mm. and, and to allow them to experience improvements in health and wellness, allow them to overcome pain and dysfunction through changes that aren't necessarily hands-on or traditional physiotherapy, chiropractic type techniques. But as you said, it is an art and bringing that awareness starts from the moment they go on my website. And so I've spent hundreds of hours creating documents on that website so that if people read my blog articles or they read the why behind why the business was created, they're already getting the feel for who I am, how I see the body, and it already starts educating them. Yeah, sure. Having filled out the intake forms to come and see me, you probably noticed that there was questions on there that just aren't normally on a physiotherapy forms for for going to see a physiotherapist or a chiropractor. I'm asking how you feel. How do you feel about the pain you have? How do you feel about the dysfunctions and and the inability to move the way you want to move? You know, those are really questions that more come from behavioral change in psychology than they do from classic physiotherapy. Yeah. So I'm grooming people already in the forms before they've even seen me without them knowing that. Yeah. Once they come to see me for the first consultation, I have laminated documents that sit in front of them. One of the, the things I created was a what's called the performance pyramid. Yes. And the I've base that. of that pyramid, at the base of the pyramid, is health and wellness. And it, it's the base for a reason. It sits uh, below pain and dysfunction. Because if you're working on pain and dysfunction and you don't have health, you're not going to be able to heal mm. in the same way or at the same rapid rate that you'd want to. And so those are the types of teaching tools that are right in front of the person. And even if they... Even if we don't even talk about them, they're already learning just by glancing down at the table. Mm. So I think there's a lot of techniques I use. And then having be treated by me, you know that I love to show you the benefits of treatment. Here's where we started. Here's where we are now. Yeah. You'll know that when you leave, there's always messages of here's how you can take care of yourself. Yeah. Here's what role you're playing in this healing process. And that holds true for almost 100% of all pain and, and illness and injury. Yeah. Amazing. Very sneaky. I can, um, I've got all those documents in my head now, (laughs) actually, and the, you know, the framed pictures on, on your wall as well. I mean, I know for myself, uh, actually things didn't start to change and and like, I've got a surgery next week, which is hopefully going to help my leg, but, um, things didn't even start to feel better really until I actually started taking full responsibility for my injury, which I think probably took a good six months of work and just realizing that doing the bare minimum wasn't actually going to get me by and. Yeah, so it's it was pretty pretty interesting, I think. What are some of your health practices and and habits then? Like do you drink alcohol? So you're 48? 48, yes. 48. You honestly didn't know that. I thought you were a lot younger. So, uh yeah. And and you've got like three kids, uh one child under a year old, 8 months old, 9 months old, yeah. 9 months old. You don't really look tired even though I know you you're getting up in the middle of the night. <laughs> so, yeah, like talk us through your health practices. Do you take supplements? Sure. What do you do? Yeah, it's a great question. If I may, one of the best things about the health and wellness arena, uh, whether you're whatever you call yourself, doctor, whether you call yourself physiotherapist, chiropractor, etc., a health coach online, 
what I love about this is you can talk all the crap you want, but if you don't practice what you preach, you're going to pay the price like anyone else. Mm. And I'm no exception. So sometimes I get off track and I pay the price for that. So if I bring too much alcohol in my life, I pay the price. If I was to not gain sleep, I'm going to pay the price. No, it's an, a very inconvenient truth mm. that there's fundamental laws and principles of human health. And people will say, hey, I, I'm not overly stressed, and yet I can feel it in their body. I don't need eight hours of sleep. I can get by with four or five. Well, you're just deceiving yourself. Yeah. Nobody, you can get by on four or five, but you will pay the price at some point. And so these foundation or fundamental principles of health apply to every human on earth, regardless of what country you're in, what race you are. And I love that. Mm. And, and far too many practitioners out there don't practice what they preach. Yeah. And so for me, I'm, I'm lucky in the sense that I, I wanted to be a great athlete when I was eight or nine years old. And so you can't do that if you behave like a goose. And so I've really instilled good sleeping patterns and, and good eating patterns and the joy of exercise and movement since I was a young child. And that's carried through right till 48 years of age. So, you know, every Sunday morning, you'll find me at the South Fremantle markets where all the growers come and bring their produce. And I'm, I'm there buying my organic fruit and vegetables or pesticide-free fruit and vegetables. You know, you can get your wild-caught fish there. You can get your, if you're going to eat meats, then there's the, you know, the wild-caught or um, properly raised ethical meats that are there. But, you know, I think that putting the right things in your mouth is so important. Mm. And uh, I truly believe now that the vast majority of Canadians and Americans and Australians where I've lived don't fully understand healthy nutrition anymore. We've yeah. got way off track. So I think that nutrition is key in my life. And I, I eat 90% whole foods, maybe even 95% whole foods. What does whole foods mean? Just for people listening. Yeah. 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 So, you know, anything that grows on the earth and hasn't been processed. Yeah. And so, you know, you can debate whether bread is healthy or not, but, you know, go pick a loaf of bread off the bread tree. Yeah. It's not going to happen. Go get, go to the pasta bush and bring in your pasta. It's not going to happen. So yeah. these are still processed foods. Can they play a role in the in a healthy human diet? Well, you know, I, I think so in small quantities. But when you have people who are making up 50 plus percent of their diet from processed foods, mm. uh, well, that's why we see physical illness. Yeah. And we really are at a disadvantage in Western Australia where the soils aren't rich and fertile. And so you have fruits and vegetables that are being grown that maybe don't have the same nutrient density as fruit and vegetables grown in other parts of the world. Mm. And so if you then process those foods into canned tomatoes or into uh, pastas and breads and stuff, you're, you're at a further disadvantage because nutrients is lost in the, the process, yeah. of creating processed foods. So I think that, you know, whole foods is critical to the diet. Mm. Uh, water intake, you know, that's where at work, I've always got to have a glass of water sitting behind me and I've got to ensure that I'm drinking a glass per hour mm. because it's very easy to become dehydrated. You know, I, I've got a pattern that I've followed for almost 10 years or even more now, probably 20 years where I do 30 to 60 days of a detox and follow that through where you don't wait until you become unwell. You, even though you feel healthy and well, you, you say for 30 days or, or 60 days at the most, zero alcohol, zero coffee, zero processed foods, no sugar. You might do a liver detox, but you just basically clean up the entire system and reset. And then you go back to a traditional healthy lifestyle again. Yeah. I move. I love to move. I've morphed into a, a thin guy again. Uh, I've been as big as, you know, 95, 96 kilos of muscle and uh, toned that down to play hockey again. So I was about 89 kilos. And then with kids and everything else, I just haven't had the commitment to lift weights and eat the amount of food I need to eat. 
to stay at 90 kilos. So I'm probably about 80, 82 kilos right now, but it's allowed me to get back on skateboards and fly around skate parks with my kids, which is exciting or climb trees or be on monkey bars. Um, but I, I love the freedom that movement offers the, the joy of moving your body is exceptional. And uh, I love seeing that in my kids and the excitement they get out of moving in various capacities. And I love to being able to join them as well. That's so exciting. I just get so much a sense of freedom of, of moving, whether it's on a skateboard or on a stand-up paddleboard or swimming in the ocean. I, I think that the way of life here in Perth is amazing. And mm. a lot of that comes from being outdoor in nature and moving. So I think I've got squared away the food. I've got squared away mostly the hydration. I've got the movement mostly under control right now. A bit more strength training would be nice. Probably the sleep is the only thing that escapes me where with a nine-month-old and trying to help my wife out, there are nights where sleep can be a bit thin. And so I try and match that with the the good nutrition and, and lowering stress in other parts of my life. Yeah. Other key factors that often aren't brought into it, I spend very little time on Facebook. I, I check momentarily to see if I have messages I have to address from a business perspective, but I, I don't spend very little time on Facebook. I don't watch the news. I think that's garbage. I yep. think that it's not healthy for anyone, especially in this day and age right now and what we're going through as well around the world. Uh, I don't read the newspapers and then that comes plays into mental health. I've got good friends. I've got a great family. And I think that that just plays into the social health, the mental health, the spiritual health. Yeah, love that. Yeah, I haven't watched the news for a long, long time. And, uh, you know, I was down at my mom's place a few weeks ago down south and, you know, the Sunday morning news shows on and it just like honestly just blows my mind what they're talking about and that people consume that every single day religiously. Yeah, I I think it's um, one of the most dangerous things out there at the moment. Yeah. Well, we have a population who's gaining their, in many cases, their, their views, their values and their insights into the world through someone else's opinion. Yeah. And in many cases, that opinion has either been bought, it's been skewed, it's been manipulated in some way, and there is great concern behind that. Yeah. And when you do your own independent evaluation and research, I think you can sometimes come to a alternative conclusion on things. Um, and much of what you see on news is sensationalized these days because they're looking for readership. They're looking for clicks. They're looking for viewership. And so I think that they manipulate the situation to gain your attention. Mm. And I, you know, whether that's fair or unfair, I don't know, but I'll certainly still steer well clear of that, you know, and I know spiritually that I get tainted if my head gets too far or even I dip one toe into all the media hype that exists right now. Yeah. So I stay clear of that. Yeah. I think, you know, in most cases, profit comes over journalistic integrity, to be honest with you. And, and advertising is the thing that generates profit. Therefore, advertisers, to a degree, own the news, uh, own, own the channels. And, you know, I think you, you mentioned about people watching the news, uh, consuming things around, you know, events around the world through someone else's opinion. That's really, really important to remember that, it is someone else's opinion, ultimately. Someone else's biases playing out. You know, we know that uh, the owners of the the channels that are on TV or the, the media, the newspapers, ultimately can say if they don't want something in, in the newspaper or if they do want something in there. So something really struck me. I got sent the Sunday Times, a photo of the Sunday Times last week, and uh, which is the, the newspaper here in WA on, on a Sunday. And it was, you know, front page news, Basil Zemplis for mayor, uh, Lord Mayor in Perth. <laughs> you know, it's like, 
<laughs> okay, well, he happens to work for Channel 7. Channel 7 also owns that newspaper. Surprise, surprise. So mm-hmm. there you go. Talk us through the name Effortless Superhuman. It's a pretty interesting name. Yeah, I really like it. Yeah, well, how did you come up with that? Yeah, look, full credit to Tim Ferriss and, and his book, The 4-Hour Body. And there, it was, I believe it was a chapter in his book that was Effortless Superhuman, or maybe it was just a statement he made. And really the way he used that term was looking at pairing back strength techniques in order to get 80 to 90% skill set in the shortest time possible. And so for him, he was looking at, you know, maximizing strength in a very short period of time or maximizing muscle gain in a very short period of time. And that's the first time I had ever heard that term. And I thought it was very clever, effortless, superhuman. And then it kind of sat with me over the course of eight years as I worked for a, a previous business. And where I took it was that I viewed the human body as effortless and that in many cases, the human body doesn't heal itself because of the barriers that we put up. Mm. And so someone's not healing from something they should heal, but they're smoking. Mm. Well, no wonder your fracture isn't healing. You're a smoker, you know, or I'm not healing the way I want, but I choose not to sleep at night. I'm up till midnight or one in the morning and I'm up back up at five or six and just loading myself full of caffeine. And so when you take away those barriers to healing, the human body is almost effortless in the way that it can heal itself. I've seen injuries resolve. I've seen pain disappear. I've seen pain of 10 to 15 years disappear when people simply change their diet. Mm. I've had chronic joint pain disappear when the person fasted for seven days on water only. Now, if you ask me, how did the body do that? Well, I can give you a very educated opinion on how that may have happened, but that's the superhuman part of it. Yeah. Anybody that professes to be an expert on the human body, I would challenge them. You know, I'm 30 years into this in various careers in the human body, studying extensively anywhere from four to 10 hours per week, committed to understanding the human body. It is so complex that there's probably no one on earth that is an expert in the gastrointestinal system. Mm. That's one system of the body. How does that intimately connect to the lymphatic system of the body? How is that intimately connected to the neurosystem of the body? You could study a lifetime and not fully understand the human body. And I think that's the superhuman part to that name as well. Um, So I, I think what effortless superhuman meant to me is that some of the most simplistic and easy things you can do result in health, healing, and performance to the highest standard. Yeah. And so I'll give you two real quick examples. The the first example is that I've had a woman now for three weeks who had chronic foot pain, which was diagnosed as plantar fasciitis, which is inflammation of the plantar fascia. And most traditional physiochiros will tell you that it's an overloading of the foot, maybe for mechanical reasons. I see that type of inflammation in connective tissues and fascia more because of a chronic inflammation through the whole body and an overload of many systems of the body that then yeah causes inflammation in soft tissues and so i've seen that with elbow tendonitis tennis elbow i've seen it in knee tendonitis and any physiotherapist will tell you those are some of the hardest things to treat because you're looking at it as a structural problem as opposed to a physiological problem and so one of the things She's a challenge because there's behavioral stuff going on there. And so all I've said is I want you to drink two liters of water every single day for the next two weeks. Yeah. She's 50% better already. Yeah. 
Now I'm using traditional Chinese acupuncture with her as well. So we have to bring that in as a treatment tool. Outside of that, all I've got her doing is drinking two liters of water per day, yeah, which wow. is going to flush the yeah. body of toxins. It's going to reduce inflammation. She's already openly admitted that she can't drink as much coffee during the day because she's drinking so much water. Mm. She's sleeping better. Yeah. That's kind of the effortless part, which is how hard is it to drink two liters of water per day? Yeah. The superhuman part is what her body is now doing with that. Yeah. When I worked at a previous business called Body Genius, we took on, uh, went to a, a friend of mine who was head of rowing WA, and I said, well, I want your 10 best rowers, your 10 best rowers. He laughed at me, and he said, Ross said, uh, you can't have them. They're all with waste. And he said, but I can give you 10 B-grade rowers who are great rowers at the state or national level, but they just didn't qualify for a scholarship to waste. So we ended up taking on 11 rowers on scholarship for nine months leading into the next national championships. And as part of a team, a great team at Body Genius, we all came together collectively and modified their training and modified their nutrition. We agreed that that was probably the two major areas that needed modification. And so off water training was cut by 50%, both in a gym, on bikes and cardiovascular exercise. And nutritionally, we evaluated each of the 11 people individually and set programs to clean up health issues and help them be healthier and heal from any injuries that they had. Nine of those 11 athletes went to the national championships and they won wow. se 17 medals, wow. 17 medals. The WACE athletes that year at the national championships won two medals. Wow. Out of those nine athletes, two of them went to the world championships and both got silver medals. And so we took B-grade rowers the effortless part was we dropped their training by 50%. Yeah. The two-hour bike ride for recovery on Sundays was gone. No two-hour bike ride anymore. The weight training volume, they're in and out of the gym in 40 minutes or less, three times a week. That's the effortless part. The superhuman part is it allowed their bodies the opportunity to respond to the types of training they were doing. Mm. Out of all of them, we were able to get rid of asthma-like symptoms. Sure. We got rid of gastrointestinal problems. We got rid of joint aches. And of course, that's going to help them perform better. Yeah. And so that's the superhuman side of things. Mm. And so those are just two examples where something seemingly effortless resulted in some pretty spectacular outcomes. Amazing. So um, if you're listening, now's the time to start drinking two liters of water a day. <laughs> that's actually a really good reminder for me as well. Because obviously, I mentioned I lost my voice couple of weeks ago and that was the first thing I thought about I'm like I'm actually not drinking enough water every day yeah. you know it's getting colder you kind of fall out of the habit because it's not hot you're not sweating so you don't need it doesn't feel like you need to replenish your, your fluid as frequently and so I, I've had to kickstart that habit again um, I find this an amazing space because if you're to get a group of of uh, well, two two things are amazing. I've I've been going after the APA uh, national body with a few emails over a ten year period of time, and then there's another guy I, I respect, uh, Doug, who runs his own courses for health professionals, especially physios and chiros and stuff. But it took till the year 2020 to get our first nutrition course in physiotherapy. So you now as a physiotherapist, you can actually take a nutritional course which starts to look at how nutrition might help enhance the outcomes of your treatment. Sure. 2020, yeah. year 2020 is mind blowing. Yeah. You know, if I said to sat down 20 physios in front of me and said, well, how would you enhance someone's sporting performance? Well, of course you'd say, okay, well, we could train them differently. We could balance their bodies. You might even get into hydrate them differently. Uh, we could, you know, enhance their nutrition, you know, 
we all know that, right? That's sporting performance. But you sit those same health professionals down in front of me and, and we ask that question as to how you could heal faster. And if you start talking nutrition, people are looking at you like going, what are you talking about? And you say, you don't think they're not responding to your treatments favorably. They're not overcoming chronic inflammation and yet they're having five coffees a day. They're, they're eating shitty food. They're drinking alcohol every night. And then yeah. you wonder why your treatments aren't successful. Yeah. It's mind blowing. You know, wouldn't that make sense that a healthy person is going to heal faster from anything? Yeah. And yet it took to the year 2020 to get our first nutritional course. Yeah. Wow. You know, so I, I, these are the types of things where I, I feel, you know, to some extent let down as a, as a health professional, because you're not really a health professional. You're a musculoskeletal neural professional. Sure. Let's change the name then. Yeah. Let's be clear on this. (laughs) What I'm hearing actually really loud and clear from you is for everyone all we need to do is kind of like get out of our own way with our bodies and with our health and just provide the right environment and conditions. And our, like our body actually has the magic, the genius inside it to, to do the rest, you know, to actually give ourselves great. It will produce great energy if we feed ourselves with quality nutrition, water and sleep. Like that's, you know, that's almost like the fundamental stuff and exercise, right? And there's so much overcomplicating, you know, what health could be when that, that's actually it. It's just we need to provide the right ingredients and, and it'll give us the, the best output. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd agree with that. You mm. know, and we see if you look what's on the rise, if you ask physios and, and health professionals out there what's on the rise, one of the biggest things out there right now is back pain. Yeah. And then you say, well, what is the success rate of chiropractic care, osteopathic care, physiotherapy care in overcoming in a timely fashion back pain? Well, the answer is not a huge amount of success. Mm. If you're truly honest, if we actually tracked every single person who went in for back pain and said, well, how many sessions does it take to overcome that back pain and keep it clear? And people track that we probably wouldn't be as successful as we think we are. And the reason is that the pain being experienced in the back is an expression of a deeper inflammation that could be coming from other organs within the body. Mm. And so we have a lymphatic system that isn't draining and getting the toxicity of the body. We have a gastrointestinal system that is overloaded from poor food choices, creating chronic inflammation. And we know that the large intestine can create lower back pain. People are constipated and using laxatives on a weekly basis. You know, these are the things where unless we take responsibility for our own health, we're going to suffer. Yeah. And then to turn to health professionals all the time to try and fix these things doesn't make any sense. We go back to the same conversation around fundamental, the fundamentals of health. Yeah. And people simply aren't following those. Mm. They don't want to accept those. And the quick fix is medications. Mm. You know, the quick fix is take this tablet, you know, and and, and we kind of go back to where, we started with the psychedelic side of things. Well, when it comes to medications, nobody wants to really address the risks associated with that. Yeah. You know, the, the fourth leading, I think it's still the fourth leading cause of death in the United States is properly prescribed medical yeah. drugs. I think I read the other day, it was, it's the third. It's the third one leading cause. It's the third one now. Yeah. You know, at least I got to be very onto that as most physiotherapists do. Most physiotherapists are going to want to see every single drug that you're taking at the time. And, you know, they're highly trained in that area. And so they're going to go through those medications and look at the symptoms. Well, I've had to send people back to their doctors many times to say, the reason you came in to see me, headaches, migraines, back pain, nerve-like pain in your body, you then Google the drug 
and all the symptoms can be highlighted. I often print it off and I take a highlighter and I go through the symptoms and I go, does this look familiar? And they go, that's why I just came in to see you. And I go, yeah, that's a side effect of the drug or yeah. drugs that you're taking. Yeah. And so there's safety issues around these drugs that just aren't acknowledged. Mm. I mean, people talk about chiropractic care and they say, oh, doctors say don't have your neck cracked because there's a huge risk of you getting a stroke. Best evidence says that at the most, there's a one in a million chance of adjusting the neck and creating some sort of ischemic attack, which means change in blood flow that could cause some sort of uh, stroke of some kind. One yeah. in a million. The risk factor associated with taking uh, NASAs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, which are taken daily by people, the risk of being hospitalized is one in 3,000. Wow. One in 3,000. Now, that's from taking over-the-counter Voltaren. Yep. But nobody wants to talk about that. Yeah. You know, and so we're just not being open and honest about the complications. But I've never seen anybody drug themselves back to health yet. Mm. Nobody's drugged themselves back to health. You might have overcome yeah. symptoms, but you didn't drug yourself back to health. Wow. Yeah. That hits home for sure. You know, and, and people don't want to talk about these inconvenient truths. I mean, if mm. you look to the the some of the drugs, there, there's pharmaceutical companies who've been taken to court and charged three to four billion dollars for falsifying the evidence associated with drugs that hit the market. They've been taken to court. You can look this up yeah. online and they were pleaded guilty and they got charged three or four billion dollars. They're protected by law, aren't they? Well, the corporation is. There's yeah. nobody held accountable, but they don't care. They'd already made 30 billion on that drug. Yeah. Okay. But whistleblowers are coming out. So, you know, we don't want to address these inconvenient truths. And so mm. you have to go back and say, well, what responsibility do you take as a person? Yeah. But even for me, it's inconvenient. It's inconvenient to say I have to sleep. It's inconvenient for me to say I can only eat whole foods when it's much easier to throw something in the microwave or to stop in at McDonald's, yeah. you know? It's inconvenient that I can't drink as much alcohol as I want all the time, you know? It's inconvenient I have to move my body, Yeah. you know? Those are inconvenient truths for many people that apply to every human on earth. Mm. We've just got to take extreme ownership, self-radical self-responsibility. Yeah, I, I really feel like that's been a huge part of my, my own journey this year. Like I'm 30 and yeah, I feel like I've been relatively healthy my whole life. Probably not a lot until I was maybe 25. But yeah, just like actually under, getting to understand, getting to understand how my body works and, and what is going to give me a clean bill of health effectively and support my body in creating good energy. Yeah, and I'm still not nailing it. <laughs> Well, I think it's a work in progress. You know, I was very lucky. I had a lot of health issues when I was 14 to 18 years old. And I, I met a doctor and this guy was way ahead of his time. But one of the best pieces of advice he said to me is he says, I can get you to 90%. Mm. And it'll take you a lifetime to try and find that other 10%. And certainly within 18 months, he would have had me felt like 100 given the hole that I was in. But uh, he got me easily to 90%. But it's, it's truth. You know, I've tried, I spent uh, 20 to 30 years now trying to find what does optimal health look like? Can you ever achieve it? Or is it a journey along the road to optimal health? Yeah. Uh, and maybe you never actualize full optimal health, but you can feel fantastic, you know, on that journey, you know, and whether you're 91% or 99%, you know, probably 90 something percent feels amazing. Yeah. Um, but I think it is a journey. I think it is something that we strive to achieve, and but we never actually always get there or can't maintain it for sure. you know, years on end. The life throws variables our yeah. way. Yeah. yeah, and that's part of life, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, <laughs> suffering is a sure. part of life. Sure is. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Let's touch on your business journey really briefly. So you, you've 
got your business effortless superhuman now yeah which i believe you started uh sorry like earlier last year yeah, 2019 was a year ago now yeah uh, but prior to that you had you were a co-owner in a business called the body genius which as you've described is actually quite a, a sizable business you had many people working for you talk to me specifically about you know the journey away from that business and and why you've sort of some would say downsized but to me it looks like a much more efficient effective model for what you're doing now great yeah i think that as i i worked for a fantastic practitioner for the first 10 years of my life and he allowed me to do anything and everything i wanted to do and so i was doing nutritional consultations in that i was using my skills in exercise physiologist i was working as a physiotherapist i had a small gym set up in there as well so i could use my strength and conditioning qualifications and it was really there that I honed in and, and developed what became the performance pyramid. And I was able to treat people on multiple levels, pretty much up and down that pyramid. I recognized though, that it was to be excellent in all of those levels was very demanding and taking up a lot of my life. And maybe I couldn't be excellent in all of the levels of the pyramid. And so I had this vision of saying, well, what happens if I brought in an expert at the strength and conditioning level? They wanted to spend their whole career at that level. What happens if we brought in naturopaths, functional medicine practitioners at the base of the pyramid? If we had chiros and physios and osteopaths working side by side in the same mm -hmm. business? I mean, the, the chiropractic profession is outstanding and they have a skill set and a mindset that is different than physiotherapy. Not better, but different. And when those two professions work side by side, the cases that can be solved, throw an osteopath into that mixture. And so I thought if you could have one osteo, one chiro, one physio side by side, that would take up the pain and dysfunction level of the performance pyramid. And so my dream was really to bring in skilled professionals into, under one roof where you walked in the door and you had access to all these people that could almost handle any challenge that you had. And so that's where the Body Genius Institute came about and, yep. and was started. And it started with uh, Rob McPherson and myself. And we, I don't even think we had a receptionist. I think he was doing reception and strength and conditioning while I jumped in and did all the physiotherapy side of things until we could afford a receptionist. And, and then we built into a second personal trainer slash strength and conditioning coach. Then we built into naturopaths, functional medicine practitioners, chiropractors, more physiotherapists. And we, we built from there over a seven to eight year period of time with varying amounts of success. Yeah. Um, it depends on how you define success in that whole journey. I think that for me, there was the excitement of actualizing something that I wanted to see come to fruition. But there was also a loss of self through that journey that my wife would say was probably too great a price to pay. Sure. There was because I was in a position to not only create a lot of the systems and upskill a lot of the practitioners and do a lot of the hiring, it meant that my hands-on skills that I was so passionate about had to fall by the wayside to some extent. I couldn't practice as much. And so there, there's a price to pay on one side of things for uh, actualizing that dream. Yeah. And so one may define that business as successful in that you know the revenue grew to almost $2 million a year in revenue, we helped a lot of people. We had a great reputation, I believe, overall, but I'm not sure that it was the success that I wanted it to be. Yeah. And I, I think if the other owner, co-owner was honest as well, I'd say that probably it got to a point where there was no way forward for either one of us because it wasn't the dream that he ever had for where his career was going to go. And so that's why the business, you know, fell apart and why we went our separate directions. I'd hope that people who worked there and came through there, the vast majority would see that health in a different way and maybe see their professions in a different way. 
And I hope there was value that was gained for the community. Mm. Again, the feedback was outstanding in the sense that you had a one-stop shop for health and wellness. And a lot was to be gained from that. For myself, success-wise, you know, I'm very lucky that I have a father who excelled in his career and became and really hit the pinnacle of his career. And that was in the business arena. And so he's guided me through going back from start to finish and looking at what maybe we did well, but also a ton of the mistakes that were made. You know, I, I could pretty much write a, a 20 page novel on the mistakes that were made from the day the doors opened till I'm the sure, days I'm closed. sure anyone in business could. Yeah. And, and so once you go through that, you know, I sat down with my wife and I said, where do we go from here? You know, I, I was pretty lost as of June 30th. 2019, which is unusual for me. That's not a place I've ever sat in my life. And you spoke about depression. Was I depressed? Uh, yeah, I'd say it was. Uh, I'd say it was extreme uh, if I really go back. And so I sat with her and I said, well, what do we do here? And she said, well, you've got a great client base. You know, you've got a client base of, of nearly uh, 18 or 19 years at that point. Do you want to do that type of work that you used to do? And I said, yeah, I do. And so we looked around and um, found a great opportunity at a place called Total Movement in Subiaco. And uh, that team is, is fantastic. They welcomed us and we've integrated our services. And I think we make a great team. And I've got back into being a holistic healing practitioner again. Yeah. Where I've got a lot of time. I do all my own hands-on therapy. I can practice to some extent as a holistic healing coach, a exercise physiologist, a physiotherapist. I've got time to sit in with chiros and osteopaths and massage therapists and watch what they do and how they do it. I'm passionate about helping people again. I'm studying behavioral sciences online and, cool. and listening to those types of audiobooks and bringing it all back together again. Yeah. I think that's, that's all that matters at the end of the day is that you're happy doing what you're doing, right? No, yeah. no matter what it is, yeah. like just doing what you're passionate about and, and happy and enjoying it. Yeah, well, I mean, I think you do a great job. Thank so. you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, well, uh, this has been a really, really awesome, awesome chat. So I, re I really appreciate you coming on to the show. Yeah, um, the question I finish up with everyone is always, what do you find most interesting about yourself? Most interesting. Great question. <laughs> most interesting about myself. Hmm, that's a tough question to answer. Uh, I think what I find most interesting is probably the, just the drive and motivation that I have and the disciplines that I've created. I've had so many great mentors either through face-to-face -face conversations or hiring them or either through audiobooks these days, which is so exceptional. But I've, I've got all those quotes on my wall that have shaped my life. And because I read those quotes pretty much on a daily or a weekly basis, they, they shape how I live my life, the simple disciplines. I think that's what I love about Tim Ferriss so much is that he unwinds the top performing people around the world and then he gives you the tidbits about what they do, what their disciplines are. Yeah. And I think, you know, for me, that's what I find interesting in my life is that I've set time aside every morning from every Saturday morning from four, four thirty in the morning through to eight thirty is my time where I'm up and I'm usually studying, reviewing patient notes or diving into areas of health and wellness or psychology or those types of things. And it's a discipline that I've created. Um, so I think it's, I find it interesting that I've been able to shape my life and, and put things in context for the most part and then live true to specific values. Mm. And, and I think that's represented my, me well and served me well. And um, yeah, it's now more than ever seeing me grow and grow as a person faster than I was many years ago. So pretty, yeah. ex pretty excited by that. Awesome. So, yeah. 
Thank you. Well, it's been a phenomenal conversation. So thank you very much yeah. for, for jumping on the show, taking the time away from your family and yeah, really, really appreciate it. And we'll see you soon. Yeah, I think you're doing great things, uh, Alex. I, I think that what you described with 100 coffees is a fascinating idea of meeting 100 people for 100 coffees. Uh, I think podcasts like this can reach out to so many people. And I think the honesty that you represent on this podcast is important. Um, Thank you. So that we, you know, we don't feel alone out there. You know, if I had heard your story last May, June, I think it would have been incredibly helpful to know that, you know, I'm, I'm not alone out there and going through challenging times. And, and so hopefully other people listening to this podcast will have learned a lot and, and understand that there are, there is help out there. And, and secondly, that, um, you know, health and wellness and happiness in life is within their own grasp. Yeah. You know, there are Absolutely. people out there that can help them. Yeah. So I think you're doing a great thing with this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Wow, what a conversation that was. Listeners, as always, you can find me on Instagram at Alexander Waters. And um, Steve's business, once again, is called Effortless Superhuman. And you can just Google them. They come up pretty easily in Perth. Highly, highly recommend checking him out, uh, looking at his website and the books that he's got there. And if you are in need of a practitioner, of course, go and see Steve. I would recommend him above anyone else that I, I know. So, wow, that's it for this week's show. Yeah, be sure to tune in next week on the Alex Waters Show. 